When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. It is so good to, to have all of you back with us. And guys, good to see you guys here in, in the room. Uh, we are continuing our walk today uh, through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we, we kind of you know wrapped up last week talking about uh, Paul talking talking about the the role and, and order inside services and uh, you know the the headship of, of the man under the headship of Christ uh, and and the wife um, of course being an equal standing with with her husband uh, but t- calling for you know the way that we are to uh, behave as men and women in the church it's all it's all about keeping order and we're going to have some more of that today we're going to talk more about um, you know, when we get together for fellowship and, and when we take the Lord's Supper. So what I'd like to do, if, if you're new to the Bible study, this Bible study is brought to you by uh, themanchurch.com. Themanchurch.com is a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, we're, we're kind of a, of a hub for men's ministry. You can go there. We have resources for individual men, 40-day devotionals We have uh, that, that are written by our team. We also have, uh, you know, what we call third-party items. These are items that are written by Steve Farrar, Tony Evans, uh, Oswald Chambers, and uh, Lance Ingram, and and some other resources that are available. Now, all that's kind of designed for individual men in their own spiritual growth, or maybe a dad taking um, you know, his son uh, through a Bible study with some of our student versions of, of some of the uh, original materials that we produce. But um, we also provide 40-week curriculum. Uh, that is me teaching for 12 to 15 minutes via video, kind of like I'm doing now. Uh, and then you have study guides within the room, and, and you have a, a, a man who facilitates a, a small group Bible study and then, and then walks uh, people through that uh, that are there in the room. So we have, we have, and then we set up speakers to come to services. So we, uh, we, have, we have high challenge when we have our, our men's gatherings, our, our men's services. And then we provide these, uh, these curriculum for the high equipping. Uh, we'll have our third 40-week curriculum coming out in 2022. We have two of those now, but you can find all the information and we're happy to help you uh, reach and disciple the men of your church, your community with a full blown and boy, the last, uh, you know, two years we've seen uh, the the results and the fruit of uh, this God ordained strategy. So we'd love to help you implement it. If you don't have a game plan to reach and disciple the men of your church or community, or if you're just an individual man who would like to find some resources that can help you grow spiritually, just go to themanchurch.com. So speaking of some of those gatherings, there's opportunities to go to services, there's opportunities to go to conferences, uh, and we have all those listed uh, at themanchurch.com. At themanchurch.com, if you click on events, if it's a conference that we're putting on, it'll be there. Uh, If you're just looking for me speaking at maybe other conferences, you can find those at burgessministries.com and also my wife, Sherry, if she's speaking at women's events or we're doing a marriage conference together, those things are found at BurgessMinistries.com. A couple of things that are coming up uh, real quick. I won't go through all of them. You can find them there. But here's some things you do need to know about. Uh, on October the 28th, um, uh, if you are uh, listening to this or watching it live or the same day that it was actually done, uh, then uh, on Thursday night, the 28th, Op Alabama, uh, we will have uh, Scott Dawson there speaking. Uh, he'll be speaking at uh, at our next man church. We've been, we've been going through – uh, the men's discipleship strategy there in op uh, for an entire year. 
Uh, they've uh, they've already implemented um, you know the the full strategy. So make plans to be with them. You can find that at themanchurch.com. Coming up on November the fifth. Uh, and the 6th, I'll be speaking at a men's conference. This is a man church men's conference at Green Street Baptist Church, High Point, North Carolina. I'll be doing sessions on Friday night, the 5th, and also Saturday morning on the 6th. So you can catch that, ladies the, the, who participate in this Bible study. Uh, my wife, Sherry, will be in Union City, Tennessee on November the 6th as well. She'll be speaking to the women there for the women's event. That's happening during the day on that Saturday. Uh, you can uh, at, at Calvary Baptist Church in Union City, Tennessee. You can find that at BurgessMinistries.com under upcoming events too. November 5th, Rich Wingo, Harvest Church, Dothan, Alabama, doing a man church. Uh, First Baptist Church, Colquitt, Georgia, on November the 7th, Mark Garnett, doing a man church there. Uh, Rich Wingo again on November the 7th at Enon Baptist Church in Morris, Alabama. Uh, And then Scott Dawson, November the 11th, Journey Church in Laurel, Mississippi. Uh, November the 14th, um, I'll be speaking at Pine Grove Baptist Church in Center, Alabama. November 14th, Gunnersville First United Methodist Church. Helmsy will be speaking there for a man church. And then Helmsy also in Madison, Alabama on November the 17th, speaking at New Life Chapel. Uh, all these are either churches that are kicking off the men's discipleship strategy or they're continuing. And you can find all that at themanchurch.com under events. If it just involves other conferences, other speaking dates, or sharing, you go to burgessministries.com and click on events there. Let's open up in a word of prayer and jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Help us to take away everything that you want us to glean from this today and how you take the gathering uh, of, of your people uh, in, in, a, in a setting uh, to worship you. You take that very serious, whether we're fellowshipping, whether we're worshiping, uh, whatever the case may be, whether we're growing in our faith, uh, you're, you're very clear about this. And may we take it and apply it to our lives today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we finished last week. Uh, we finished uh, on, uh, with verse 16. We start now in verse 17, uh, and we'll, we'll today finish up chapter 11 and, and go through verse 33. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul has said earlier, some things you guys are doing uh, I, I'm happy with. Got a few things I'd like to see you clear up. Some of the women of the church are abusing uh, their, their freedom under the, the new covenant and the church age. And now he's going to say, and here's something else that I'm not happy about. Uh, and it's going to involve two um, gatherings, uh, one for fellowship and, and a love feast, which really, I, I mean, for us today, I would call this first part of what he's talking about. I come from a Baptist background. I know not all of you do, uh, and I'm certainly not uh, tied to de- the denomination as much as I'm tied to Jesus. But, um, you know, denominations, there's a lot of things we can laugh at. There's a lot of stereotypes. We call it dinner on the ground. Dinner on the ground, we all going to eat together, and let's get fired up. Now, in this particular setting at the Church of Corinth, they're meeting together to have a meal together, to have what they call a love feast, and they're going to have this meal together, and then they're going to do communion, uh, the Eucharist, uh, uh, the Lord's Supper, whatever you call it. Uh, they're going to do that after this. And so he's saying that he sees some problems with both of them. Uh, he's really not happy with the behavior of the people because he said, the way you guys are handling this is not the way this was designed. And he wants this to be corrected. And, and some of the wording that Paul uses is, is, is kind of humorous, and I think you'll enjoy it. So here's what he said, uh, verse 17. Uh, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Okay, he's not, he's not pulling any punches. You know what this means? Uh, you, have you ever had anybody in authority say, I need to talk to you about something, and it's not good? I'm, I, I'm not happy about something, and we need to talk about it. So they, know, you, he, they already know that, the, that they're about to be uh, corrected. He said, because when, when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. He said, you know, this, this love feast was designed uh, 
uh, for us to get together in fellowship. Uh, it was really designed, really, the, the whole the whole dining together, breaking bread together, eating together was designed for us to fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're going to drop all the garbage and all the social status that the world seems to cling to, and we're all going to enjoy this, and we're all going to be equal, and we're really coming to this meal with the attitude of true equality, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, but it is correct as the world keeps trying to create equality when Jesus has already created the only true equality, and that is that everybody is equal at the foot of the cross, and uh, all this status you may have when you get to the, the foot of the cross, how about this? You're going you're gonna to be redeemed, and, and, and you have the need of redemption like the poorest person with no standing you know. Everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. Nobody, as Adrian Rogers said, is going to strut into heaven. Uh, so he says, so this, this is what this was intended for, but this is not what y'all are doing. Uh, I, I don't like the way this feast is being done. So he goes on, he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there's divisions among you. When we come together as a church, all these divisions that you may have in the outside world or all the things that divide us out there, that's over. Uh, first of all, if we're coming together, the last thing that we're going to do is when we meet together as a church. Now, if you want to go off with your brother and sister and say, I need to have lunch with you, I got an issue with you, or you want to do this, you want to do that. When we all come into the church, we leave all that garbage outside, and, and we don't act the way the world acts. And what I'm hearing is y'all are coming together and gathering for this meal, but there's divisions among you. And I love this. He says, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So what he's saying is, and there's nothing worse than this, if you think about it, it's one of those things that, and, and this, this is a time for us to reflect on something you may not have expected from this message, but don't miss this. This is, this is important. I hope that we make a commitment. I hope that I'm going to make the commitment that I live my life as a follower of Jesus. And look, one of the first things that God showed me when I was redeemed in 1996 is we got to work on your integrity because you've been claiming to be a member of my church since you were a boy. And frankly, from the time you've been 19 years old to this moment right now, you hadn't acted like it. And I was 30 at the time, 31. And so, um, so, so I had some integrity, meaning if somebody went out and said, well, I know Burgess claims to be a Christian, but he sure don't live like it. Unfortunately, at that point, even though I was truly redeemed, you know what somebody would say? Yeah, I believe that. So I hope that we would live a life and Paul's saying the church of Corinth had not lived that way. By the way, when they told me this, it didn't surprise me. I, I believed it because I, that, it didn't surprise me that y'all aren't handling this the right way based on the things I've had to deal with before. May we not be in that position. I hope that we live our lives uh, under the obedience of Christ, and we're going to make mistakes, but I'm talking about I hope we have not been so inconsistent that if somebody comes up and says, well, you know, Burgess uh, you know, uh, uh, did this, and somebody would look at them and say, well, that didn't surprise me. Now, what I hope they would say is, really? That's surprising. I'm, I, I think I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I know his integrity as a man of faith. I know the way he lives his life. I'm a little surprised that you're making that accusation. I'm going to go talk to him about it because it may turn out that it's true. But when I first heard it, I'm going to give Rick the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to roll my eyes and go, yeah, that sounds about right. And, and that really is what Paul is saying to this church. That sounds about right. You know what he said? I don't know if all the details are right, but but I believe the the – the basic concept that you're doing this, because I've seen you do it before. Uh, and so he, he follows up with that, and he says, uh, and, and he said, but, but here's the deal. He said, these factions do help me 
to determine who's genuine and who's not. Because when I looked, how many times did your parents tell you that growing up? Look, just don't participate in what everybody else is doing. You know, and that'll show that you're not like everybody else. When everybody else does something, you don't do that. And so he says, this does help us uh, recognize that. So verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another another gets drunk. What? And he, I mean, he literally, the, the word here in Greek, in English, in the English Standard Version, is just the word what with, with exclamation point. You got to be kidding me. You mean to tell me we've got this, this meal design as we're getting ready for the Lord's Supper. This is all of us having our, our, our really our supper, and we're all going to eat together, and you're telling me the report I'm getting back as you prepare for the Lord's Supper, you're gathering together, and some of you are drunk. You're drinking so much that you're drunk. Some of you, he's going to talk about in a minute, you're gorging yourself to the sin of gluttony, while other people don't have anything. So you brought your own stuff, and you're not even sharing it with those that don't have any. Those of you that are wealthy and you've got all the food and drink you need, you're you're not sharing it to the point that you're gluttonous and drunk over here. That shows me you had plenty to give everybody else, and you didn't. And he says, what? And, and, and Paul says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you for this? No, I will not. You know what he says? If you can't come into church with the right attitude, just stay home. If, if you want to get drunk and you want to be a glutton, then you got a house to do that in. You know, do not come in here and bring that garbage into the church. Because you know what he's saying? Do you not have any, any, any respect? Do you not see God's house as holy? How can you, re- if that's the way you're going to behave, you'd been better off just staying home. You got a house to do that in. But this is his house. And he says, I cannot believe that I'm hearing this kind of behavior. And I will tell you something, and this is, you know, we, we all got things we got to work on. But, but I, I will tell you one of the things that, that just continues to, to be a head-scratcher as, I, as I'm growing in my faith and, and I've gone from attending church to actually being involved in church and, and taking roles of leadership and, and leading. Look, I'm old school because I, I don't know what my meemaw can and can't hear in heaven. So I, I'm still going to call when people get together on a regular basis at church and, and study the Bible. I'm still going to call that Sunday school. I, I, I don't, I don't know how, I care how we modernize it, whether we call it a care group, a life group. I'm going to call it Sunday school. My meemaw called it Sunday school. I'm going to call it Sunday school. So it, in the Sunday school class, it, do, it is shocking sometimes when you see the factions that, that happen on the outside when they come into the Sunday school class. It's just the same thing. Same people associate with the same people. Same people associate with the same people. And you always see these people coming to church that don't belong to either group just sitting there by themselves. And I'm just like, why, why is no one walking over and talking to this person? Why is nobody going over it? Hey, we sent out prayer requests. You know this person is having this issue. It's in the prayer request. And here you are. You get, you get, you get to the gathering. He or she is sitting over there. You know the problem because they have put it out there in a prayer request, and you walk over and start talking to your buddies, talking about the ball game, talking about all this stuff, and that person just sitting there. And I'm like, are we going to actually do this, or is this just something we attend? 
but because we know the problems in this room, and we'll get up there and talk about it. we got we got to send some people out to the ends of the earth. We got to put together this trip. We got to do that. And Sherry was talking about this last week. She goes, "Don't you think we ought to start in here? Should shouldn't we take care of the people in this room? And once we prove we can do that, then maybe we're ready to be sent. But if we're going to step over the people that we meet with every week and treat them." poorly and put them in classes and we're going to have this kind of division you think we're ready to go out and 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 reach and disciple the world no if you haven't learned it right here you you're not ready to go to i don't want to send you because you won't do it right you didn't even care about the person that set two two seats over from you in in sunday school or whatever you want to call it and 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 that's what he's saying is y'all y'all are not y'all how can this be going on in the gathering of the church and, and what usually happens? And, and can I just say, because I used to be this person, but I, I, I get, Jesus has changed me. The problem is when, when, every, when you don't say, I'm going to do my part at the church, I am going to care, I am going to disciple, I am going to reach out, I am going to provide, is you have that, that 20% of the church that is exhausted by the sucking of the 80%. You have people that can't ever get out of, of, of taking care of the children because nobody else will. You can't, you can't get people that finally they burn out on going door to door and going to see the widows and going to see the shut-ins because nobody else will do it. And these same people have to do everything over and over again, and they get exhausted. And you know what Paul's saying? He's using the analogy of food. There's plenty to go around if everybody would just do their part. But you don't. You sit there and let somebody else do it. Somebody else do it. Somebody else. Do it. Somebody else will walk. I saw the prayer request, but one of the one of the teachers in here will go over here and talk to her. No, you go talk to her. The teacher's probably covered up with everybody coming up saying that they want this and that. Are you going to mention this today? And oh, by the way, we got this. Trying to get ready to do the lesson that they've been working on all week. Maybe if you know the prayer request, if you'd pay attention to the email that that uh, that that that, that, that takes hours on end to put together and send out every week, you'd actually walk over to somebody after you saw the prayer request and say, how you doing? Now, I'm going to sit here and take and take and take and take. And, oh, by the way, when I gather with the church, I'm going to act just like I act when I'm everywhere else. The person I don't talk to out in society who I've been going to church with for years at this fellowship, I ain't going to talk to them here either. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. And he says, how can the church act just like the rest of the world? How, how are you not going over say, by the way, I, pl- I bought plenty of, plenty of food. I know you probably don't ha- have access to the food and drink that I have, so come have some of ours. He goes, you're, you're gorging it over here with your buddies and ignoring these people. And he says, I can't believe what I'm hearing. The 20, uh, 23rd verse. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. Now he's moving into the, to, to the Lord's Supper. He said, y'all, y'all messed the love feast up. You, you messed dinner on the grounds up. Now I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper. And he had given thanks, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. So Paul saying, everybody remember this? You remember me telling you that the Lord said, this is how we do communion. This is how we do the Eucharist. This is how we do the Lord's Supper. Remember what it means? Do y'all remember me delivering this to you? Have y'all forgotten what this is? You seem to be taking it so casually. It's almost like you don't even know what this is about. And he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, I'm in verse 26 now, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what he does? Let me remind you of what, what you were entering into, what you were preparing for. And, and so when he, when he talks about this, he says, I've seen selfishness at the, at the love feast, dinner on the ground. He said, um, this was us preparing for the Lord's Supper. And, and you know, when Jesus ascended and, he, and, he, and he, he fulfilled all righteousness, he fulfilled the law, he left behind two ordinances. He said, and I want these to continue to go on. And he says, number one was baptism. He said, I, uh, we, we are told by obedience that when we've been redeemed, we're to be baptized. We're not supposed to be baptized before we're redeemed. We're supposed to be baptized after we're redeemed. Why? Because what this shows is that we're, we are now commemorating that we have now died with him. That's what it shows, died with him. Okay? I've looked through here. It's real hard to find infant baptisms in here. You know why? Because they're not here. Uh, I don't know how a, a baby has died to Christ and has repented and is now showing the world this has happened. If you want to say you're dedicating your baby to be raised in the faith, I'm all about that. And, you know, anoint his head, his head or her head with oil and, and you want to put sprinkle water on them, I think that's great. But to say that's baptism is not biblical. It, it just isn't. I mean, you some of the stretches I've seen of people trying to justify infant baptism in Scripture is a stretch. Well, you know, he went into Cornelius' house. It says that his Cornelius' whole family was baptized, and some of them must have been babies. Must have been? Where are you getting that? Scripture doesn't say that. It doesn't tell us how old his family is. Well, there must have been babies in there. Wow. That, 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 tell me we haven't built a whole theology on that. So, so, but, but, so he said that, that these, these two ordinances work like this. Baptism shows our redemption and our death with him. And then what's the Lord's Supper about? His death for us. You see how simple that is? Baptism is us celebrating our death with him when he redeemed us, and the Lord's Supper is celebrating his death for us. Our death for him, with him, his death for us. And, 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 and all this other stuff that we do, I don't know where in the world. I mean, it's, it's a stretch. It's a, it's a, it is a huge stretch. And, and I think this is something to be taken very serious. Why? Like Paul's talking about, because it's what the Lord told us to do. It's, it's about obedience. This is not about earning salvation or anything like that. You know, and if that bothers you, you know, you can talk to Benny Rose. But, but, but one of the, one of the, well, <laughs> I see Benny back there. But, but we have to stick with Scripture, and we have to, to look at what he is saying. And are these things important? Absolutely. Should they be done? You better believe it. But be careful taking rituals and, and, and worship and acting like some of this is earning salvation because now you got to be careful because, you, you know, it, you, am I saying these things should be done? I certainly am. You do not hear me saying these things are not important and they shouldn't be done. But be, but be real careful when you say that Jesus cannot provide full righteousness for the redeemed. It has to be Jesus plus something. Be real careful with that because you got you got to stop and think about what you're saying about Jesus, that somehow he's inadequate, that, that something else has to be added to it. Now, is there something that flows from it? Obedience, fruit, worship, yes. But be careful saying that Jesus needs some help redeeming you. Just be real careful with that. And I know some of you might get upset about that, and I I do apologize, but I'm not going to. I think I have to stand uh, on truth, even if that upsets you with me, 
but 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 I'm just, I, I'm I just I know what Scripture says about being Jesus making us fully righteous and that He is sufficient. That that, that I know. But are we supposed to be obedient? Yeah, because what does He say? Now, if you really love me, you do what I say. What did He say? Be baptized. What did He say? Hey, do this and remember to me. I had somebody the other day that was talking to me, and they said, "Well, I just don't I just don't really have the gift of fasting." I said, "Fasting's not a gift; it's a spiritual discipline." Nobody has the gift of fasting. Nobody. It's not a gift. It's a spiritual discipline. And and some and do do we have to do it to earn our salvation? No. But why 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 do I think that that Jesus expects us to fast? Why? Because he said, "When you fast, do this and don't do that." I guess he considered that to be a foregone conclusion. When you fast, don't do this. When you fast, do it this way. And he also said when he had his disciples with him, when they said, why aren't they fasting? He said, because I'm here with them. But when I go, they will fast. Well, I don't know how to tell you this. He's gone. He, he's gone back to his proper place. He's in his proper glory, and then he's coming back. So until he comes back, he expects us to fast. Not as a gift, but as a spiritual discipline. Remember the Dallas Willard Bible study we did when everybody was ready to run me off as a teacher? It was, it, it was, it was, a, hard, that was a hard lesson. But it's about those spiritual disciplines. Because I think the thing that we keep talking about in here a lot is we're getting to the point, and this is what Paul's talking about even with the church, to where the, the, don't let these things become, don't let them lose their power. Because even now, and, and Sherry and I have made this adjustment in our own life, we don't, we don't tell people we're Christians anymore. Because it doesn't mean anything. Uh, I mean, you could tell somebody you're a Christian, and that might mean they're part of some version of Christianity. Like I told you all a few weeks ago, there's over 38,000 different denominations of Christianity around the world now, over 38,000. And I promise you, a lot of those got really bad theology. And a lot of them are, 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 it's heresy. It's blasphemy. So if I just throw Christian out there, the world goes, well, that could mean all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, it could mean things that I'm very comfortable with. So we've gone to either saying Bible-believing Christian, or if you really want to stir everybody up, and I've told you all this, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, kind of like the Bible said in the New Testament. There was nobody called a Christian in the New Testament that wasn't already a disciple. Uh, that the, the, the disciples of Jesus were being called Christians, and they were mocking them for being Christ-like or thinking they were little messiahs. And then Peter says in 1 Peter, let's take that as a badge of honor, not as something derogatory. But nobody was called a Christian that wasn't a disciple. And what we've done in the Western church too many times, being too lighthearted and haphazard with this, if you'll come forward and say a prayer before we even vet out and see the fruit of it, we'll call you a Christian that day. And so people start thinking, oh, if I convert, I'm a Christian. And, and, and then we go off and leave them like a baby with no, with no nourishment, and that's why a lot of them fade away. Because, no, we're supposed to make them a disciple first, then we can call them a Christian. But really the word Christian has, been, has pretty much lost its punch now. Uh, and, uh, and so Paul's saying this is the beginning of some of this because now the things that were supposed to set us apart and be holy, we're now treating them as if they're carnal. And he's very upset about it. Same factions, same, same gluttony, same drunkenness. He can't believe that some of them are getting drunk before they're about to take the Lord's Supper. I mean, he can't believe it. Because, by the way, those of you that do the whole alcohol thing and should we, shouldn't we, what about what's too much? What, how about this? Drunkenness in Scripture is a sin, period. So if you're drinking to the point of drunkenness, you've you got no argument because you're in sin. If I drink to drunkenness, I'm in sin. And it's interesting. It seems like that's the argument we're really trying to have. It, comes, it sneaks in under the guise of, 
well, was what Jesus was drinking and what people were drinking and what happened at the wedding, was that grape juice or was, did, that, did that have alcohol content? We don't know what level of alcohol content, but, but that seems to be the argument. But if you really get deeper, that's not what everybody's arguing about. Some of them want the freedom to be drunk. Now, are there people that have no issue with alcohol and it never bothers them? Absolutely. And, and, I, and I, I think that's great. But if it's an issue for you, and you can't, and, and you're and you're you're using it as an excuse. You're trying to, like he was talking about with the women and the hair, head coverings and where the men were acting. You're you're taking your freedom and you're abusing it. Drunkenness is a sin, so I'd be real careful playing games with alcohol and seeing how I can walk that line of drunkenness. If you do partake of it, I would I would arrow back the other way, knowing that this amount that I just had, there's no way I could be a drunkenness. But that's not us, is it? That old flesh likes to, we like to do that little tightrope to see how much grace we can abuse to get right there. And what Paul is saying about them doing this at this supper, he says, what this tells me, once again, is here's human beings. Rick Burgess has been the worst offender on this. So I'm talking to me first. I really just don't want to go to hell, but let me see how worldly I can still be and not go to hell. As opposed to I am sold out. I am dead. I no longer exist. I am Rick in Christ, and, and, and being in the right standing with him, I would rather be called someone who is a holy roller. I'd rather be called someone who's a radical than to be than for somebody to come up to, to, to a person and say, you know, Rick Burgess says he's a follower of Christ, and they go, really? I was, I was at the, the dinner on the ground the other night. I think he was about half drunk and, and ate so much he could have healed a nation. You know what I mean? And uh, you, you see – we want to. We, it's almost like you know what that's about. We're not really ready to give up the world. We want just enough Jesus that we won't die eternally. And let me tell you something from one who lived it. And I'm starting right here. That's a very dangerous theology, and it's also not saying much about Jesus. He's just so inadequate that I encountered him, and I can still go back and just sin openly, not take these things serious. I don't even feel conviction. I don't have any fear of him. That that, not if you've ever really known Jesus. If you really get to know Jesus, you'll love Him. If you love Him, you'll obey Him. And that's that's what Paul's saying. I I, I can't understand that y'all that y'all not you're not as shocked as I am by your own behavior. So he moves on. So he lays out what the what the Lord's Supper is. He reminds us of what we're doing, and then he says in twenty seven, and he's gonna. This is the stuff. I like people to shoot me straight. I had to uh, sit down with a guy, and I don't know if he, how he's gonna do. Uh, I, Everything looks sincere, but I'm not his judge. You know, I'm kind of like Billy Sunday. Do you think this guy really gave his life to Christ? Well, he looked he looked real sad. He he cried a lot, and he 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 seemed repentant. He seemed broken, but until I see the fruit of in his life, I don't know. He might have just been emotional that day, but that didn't keep me from sharing the truth with him and tell him, you know. But the thing that seemed to kind of turn is when we start looking that we're sinning against God. We're not just sinning against other people, and that seemed to have some ground. But 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 it was one of those things that that um, that I think that we we forget sometimes. And he, but anyway, he looked at me. And he said, "I'm just going to tell you something right now. I I, I want to talk to a man that's going to shoot me straight." And I said, "You have come to the right place, because the man who shot me straight, God used him to save my life. So I promise you this: I always shoot you straight. You may not like me, and you may not like what I have to hear, but I, I promise you, I won't play games with you. I love you too much for that." So, uh, so Paul feels the same way about this church. In, in verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. 
So, you know, you, you ever been to church and here comes the, the elements come out? You see people looking at their phones. You see some people laughing, talking, because, you know, the pastor stopped his message now. Now they're, well, or some, you may start the service with it or whatever, however it works at, at your particular gathering. And, and, you, and then you see those that are reverent. You see those that are sitting there and they're looking and you can tell they're thinking about what Jesus did for them, which is what it was intended for. But you can always tell the difference. And, and, and Paul says, for those of you that are not reverent, for those of you that are, that are coming in here, you were, you were just drunk at supper on the ground. Uh, you, were, you just separated yourself from poor people because you didn't want to be around them. Uh, you did a social status thing at this thing we just did, and you're going to walk in here and act like you're going to sit down and take the Lord's Supper. He said, if you come in here in an unworthy manner, now how does that look to us? The way we behaved all week, whatever we were doing that morning, I'm going to tell you what, one of the most moving things I ever saw involving the Lord's Supper, because that's what I've always called it growing up and everybody that I knew. Doesn't mean you have to call it that. That's what we called it. But I was in a church. Now, this is when I was a cultural Christian. This is one of those times that I wasn't under my own authority. I was visiting Mama and Daddy, so they made me go to church. I didn't want to be there. And, of course, I was still saved, of course, because you don't have to go to church to be saved. I was that guy. So, anyway – you know, I I just come from running like a dog with everybody and found my way to church. And of course, I was just as saved as anybody in here. But anyway, what a delusion! So, so I was I was sitting there, and the pastor, the pastor, gets up, and he says, "I will not be taking the Lord's Supper today because I'm not going to take it in an unworthy manner." He said, "Everybody in this church knows me, and he didn't say the guy's name. Me and a and a, and a member of this church, we are at odds." Uh, I'm very upset with him. I'm very mad at him. I have not resolved it. It is. It remains unresolved. So I will not blaspheme the Lord's Supper because I wouldn't come to it in the right way. So I'm gonna step down, and our elders and deacons are gonna gonna handle this and lead this. But I will not be taking the Lord's Supper today. And as a cultural Christian that thought all this was kind of cultural, <laughs> I thought. It felt very much like the great George Whitfield story of the reporter that went to cover the revivals he was doing in, in England. And, you know, he was gathering some big crowds. And I felt very much like the reporter who was agnostic. And they asked the reporter after he heard George Whitfield speak, he said, uh, do you now believe? And the reporter said, no, but he does. <laughs> he absolutely does. He saw the conviction of George Whitfield. And even though he had not made his decision yet, he didn't doubt his. And I saw that man do that, and I said, you know, I'm kind of playing games with this, but this guy's not. He's actually taking this very serious. And and so Paul is is saying that. And I wonder how many times, and I'll just think of myself, I wonder how many times I have sat down because I didn't want to be embarrassed because I was so arrogant and prideful that I should have denied myself the elements and I didn't do it because of the way I was behaving and the, and, the, and, the, and the bitterness I had in my heart and, and the fact that I was unreconciled to some people and, un, and had sin I really needed to deal with. And I just went ahead and took it anyway. Why? Out, out of arrogance and pride. I didn't want people to look and go, why is Rick not taking it? So see, now it's become a ritual. It hasn't really become worship. It hasn't become real. And, and so, so Paul says, hey, you need to take that very serious. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then 
And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And look at 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You're not, you're not getting God's blessing by doing that. You're getting his judgment. You, you are in sin when you do that. Well, Rick, I mean, it's just not even a lot of denominations. It's not even, it's just a, it's just a wafer. Yeah, but that's, that's not the point. The point is whatever's representing God's redemption plan, whatever that is, you're holding symbolically in your hand. I know some of you think it's not symbolic. That's all right. You're holding symbolically in your hand or literally, if some of you believe that, and you are taking the body of Christ and the blood that he shed, and you are being extremely haphazard with it. it it's a very apathetic approach. And he says when you take that representation of Jesus' blood and you take that representation of Jesus' body and you're in an unworthy state and you have not repented, you are, you, you, you are, you are coming there in the wrong state. Say you're sitting here drunk. You're sitting here after you just finished sin at the, at, the, at the pregame before this. When you take that into your body, you're taking God's judgment on yourself pretty big deal in it kind of makes you think of the next time you do the lord's supper eucharist or communion kind of makes you feel a little different about it doesn't it well that's what paul's saying i have to come here and remind you what this is about guys this is what jesus christ said do this in remembrance of me i remember on, on on you know when i was playing games or when i was a kid and i was trying to figure it out a lot of churches i would go into and i know this is not you know hip now but I would go into the church, and right in the front, what would it say? Do this in remembrance of me. Right there, they'd have a table sitting there. You could see it, and it reminded you. Man, you, you got to really take this. Who said that? Jesus said that. This was not something some guy came along and said, you know what, I, got, I, I don't know what, if Jesus wants us to do this or not, but I've got a little something we might want to do to remember Jesus' uh, crucifixion uh, and paying the price for our sins. No, no, Nobody came up with that. Jesus said do that. I'm going to show you what to do, and I'm going to show you why to do it, and I expect you to continue to do it. And it's not to be taken lightly. Does anybody think the crucifixion is, is something to be taken lightly? Man, that, that's, that's where God went and, and, and poured out his own wrath on his own son when it should have been poured out on us. So he, And then verse 30. You ready for this one? This is, this is going to be some Acts chapter 5 stuff here. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you've died. I'm going to just let that sit a minute. This is Ananias and Sapphira stuff. He said, God is so serious about this that some of you have been so blasphemous about this, he's killed you. That's why some of you are sick. That's why some of you are ill, and that's why some of you have died. Because you didn't take this serious, and God's put his judgment on you. I want you to be real honest with me right now, okay? Whether you're watching this, listening to this, or in the room. Do any of us really think that's true when we take the Lord's Supper? Are we sitting there thinking to ourselves, man, if I, if I, if I come here unworthy, and I take this just for show, God might kill me. You know, I've got, um, it's certainly God's call, what he wants to do, and he's always right. 
But I wonder, Rick, and there have been some things that I, I have a, a really, really close inner circle of, of men that, that meet with me on a regular basis and, and hold me accountable. And we're, there's, 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 there's a brotherhood of these guys, and they're, they're at different levels is, is how well I know them and, or whatever their role has been placed in my life. And then I've been placed in, in, in role in, in other men's life, you know, and, and I've been, you know, for some, I'm, I'm an acquaintance for others. I'm a, you know, very, very much, uh, you know, it down in the, whatever's going on, I'm always going to know. And then there's some that I'm kind of somewhere in between, you know, and everybody play. It's, it's a different deal. I've talked about that before, but we have been so serious about not blaspheming our Lord and Savior. And we see that so many times in ministry, and it doesn't really have to do with this, but even though this is an example of it, that we, we would, we know we're redeemed. But we really are taking on the attitude that if we're going to have a moral, moral failure, that's going to cost people their lives because they'll think the faith isn't real because we've made such grand proclamations that we would rather God kill us than for this to come out and embarrass the gospel, embarrass the ministry. I, I, if, it, if it would serve everybody better for me just to be killed and my wife not face that shame, my children not face that shame, you start thinking about your sin a lot different. If you think, if I do this, may the Lord kill me. So that I, so I, so I don't continue this confusion and continue. The, may my wife still be able to stand up and say, my husband finished well, as opposed to, you know what? He did get across town and he did have a failure with some other woman. And now we're all living in shame. No, I don't know what, it, I don't know what happened. I just found my husband dead as opposed to it ever happening. Then you could at least bury me with some sort of honor and, 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 and as opposed to them, her be standing there in shame and, and then the church be, be, you know, damaged in the ministry. You know, we, we, I sent a letter out to all the guys in the manchurch.com because of something the Lord allowed me to, to see out on the road. He just reminded me, anybody on this ministry, any man on this ministry, that allows the the adversary in is a door. Because if you don't think, once you make a claim for Christ and you're involved in advancing his kingdom, if you don't think that now you're waging war against your own flesh first, your biggest enemy. Secondly, the demonic forces that are out there that want so much to take another ministry down, if you just give them an in, they, they, want, they want to take it down. So you got to have a commitment to the Lord to take all this stuff serious and not be haphazard because if, if, if the adversary can find a way in, he's coming in. And he'll, he'll take any ministry you got and destroy it. And the shame and the damage that's done every time that happens is enormous. And sometimes it costs people their eternity because of the way we acted May that not turn somebody away from Jesus. And so, you know, I've seen the way that man lives. I've seen the way that woman lives. If that's redemption, I'm as good as that. 
or, or they claim something, and then you find out they live a secret life or they have some big moral failure. And you say, well, Rick, man, we all can make mistakes. You're right, and, and I make mistakes. I'm just saying don't take them lightly because when we have these big moral failures, sometimes it is so damaging to, to, to the, the, the lost and the seeking that God may just kill us as opposed to them finding out because of the damage it may do them. And, and Paul says, so, so take this stuff real serious. Don't be so haphazard about this. Don't, 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 don't be so laissez-faire with this. And then he says in verse 31, but if we judged ourselves truly, then we would not be judged. He said, if we just be real and not enter into this with unrepented sin, unreconciled things, if we would just judge ourselves correctly, then we wouldn't, the wrath of God wouldn't come down on us because we'd just repent. We wouldn't enter into these things that way. We wouldn't, we wouldn't act that way. He said the problem is we don't judge ourselves correctly. We're delusional or we give ourselves a pass. That's the reason why I can't answer to me. You know what? I don't know about y'all, but in my life when I kept answering to me, you know what, you know what I kept telling me? You're good. Be careful with that. I'm not just talking about sin on that. I'm also talking about sanctification. How you think I'm doing, Rick? I think you're doing great. You're a lot better than you used to be. That ought to be fine. What do you think I should do? Ah, you're good. Knock it out of gear. I mean, you're saved. You you know, you don't doubt that, do you? No. I mean, you've done some things, haven't you? Well, yeah. Well, done enough. I mean, how many Bible studies are you going to do? You're good. How do you think I am spiritually? I think you're great. That's the reason why I better not ask me. I better be listening to the Holy Spirit. I better have people in my life that says, I didn't really like the way you did that the other day. I, I don't know how far you think you've come. I can tell you one area you need to work on because I hear it and I see it and you need to address it. He said, so, so be sure whatever, however you have to set it up, and I will would, I would give you a hint, the best way to judge yourself correctly is to give people the right to speak into your life. They will. They'll see stuff you don't see because none of us see ourselves how we really are. So you better be sure you have people that speak into your life and don't be a scoffer, meaning no one can speak into your life, no one can ever tell you you're wrong because that's delusional. We're all wrong. We all have moments where we're wrong. And if we don't have people that will call us on it or you're not so ingrained in the Holy Spirit that you're under so much conviction about it. I mean, I tell you, I've had times where uh, behavior changed in my life that I didn't fully understand what was wrong with it. But the Holy Spirit did and corrected it. I don't, I don't know why I stopped doing that, but the Holy Spirit just convicted me so bad. There was something wrong with that I guess I hadn't learned yet. And you ever had that happen? Then the more you get sanctified, the more you mature, you're like, oh, that's why the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. I didn't know the Bible well enough to know I wasn't handling that right. But now that I do, I see now that before I even knew it, the Holy Spirit convicted me not to do it, even before I learned why I shouldn't do it. And, boy, I hope you're there. I hope you have that kind of sensitivity in the spirit. It's certainly available to us. So he says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Sometimes, and I've seen it in my own life, and unfortunately I know enough when I see it, it's about to happen to somebody else. The Lord loves us enough that he lets us pay the price for it. Sometimes the Lord will love you enough to say, all right, you're going to have to be disciplined. 
but I'm disciplining you so you won't be condemned with the world. That's got to be corrected. And sometimes the Lord will love you enough to do whatever he has to do to get it corrected. He certainly has in my life. I remember just, I just couldn't correct myself from self-reliance, but he did. And I love him for it because I'm better off when I'm dependent on him. But that was just not something I apparently was going to learn, and he loved me enough to discipline me on it too, so I would learn it. And there's things that, that I'm sure are still ahead for me. Uh, but, but I think what I'd like to do, like my parents taught me and I've tried to teach my kids, why don't you just listen to what I'm saying and go ahead and have faith that what I say is right as opposed to you having to learn that I was right by the consequences of trying it another way. Anybody ever done something the way you wanted to do it and it was not the way the Lord wanted to do it? How'd that go? How'd that go? I was, I was talking to a guy the other day that I was talking about, and he's trying to make a decision on this or that. And I said, I know that you're delusional about what it's going to look like if you don't do this the way God says to do it. I'm going to tell you because I didn't do this the way God said to do it, and I'm going to tell you how it's really going to look, not this fantasy that you have in your mind. And by the time I was done, he was like, well, that doesn't seem near as – I'd kind of romanticize that a little bit. I said, oh, no, it – let me tell you, it, this, is, this is how your life's going to look. Even if you're redeemed, you're going to have the consequences of this decision for the rest of your life, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. Anybody ever remember the first time that one of your kids came back to you, they got old enough to say, you know, Dad, when you said that if I did this, this was going to happen? Hey, I did that, and, and that happened. I, you have to go, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do I know that? Because I've been there, you know? I had one of mine come back and had a consequence for making the wrong decision, and he asked me about some help. It caused some financial difficulty. He said, well, what am I going to do about this this financial difficulty? I said, I don't know. But I tell you what's not going to happen. I'm not going to pay it. So I guess you'll just work it out. But as you're working it out, I promise you, you won't do it again. But if I jump in right now, and I don't love you enough to let you work through this and pay the price for it, you may keep doing it. That sounds an awful lot. Makes me understand how God sees me. So, 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let, let, him, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. So what he's saying is some stuff I'm just going to tell you in person. But what he's saying is, so next time we all get together, if you're so hungry that you can't share with those who don't have anything, we want you to stay at home then. And if you can't come here with the right attitude, won't you stay at home, and the only time that you actually come here is when you know you're coming with the right attitude. He says, so when you, when you come and you're going to have food with the rest of the church, why don't you serve your brothers and sisters as opposed to sitting there cramming all the food and the drink in your own mouth and if that's the problem, you're so hungry that you can't do that, just stay home. Don't be part of it. Think about that. You know what, you know what, you know what that goes in conflict with? Well, that's just every week I get in some kind of trouble. But this is Scripture. I'm not going to apologize for Scripture. You know what most people would say? Well, isn't it good that, he just, that they would just come on to church anyway? It's better for them to be in church doing the wrong thing than not be there at all, isn't it? Apparently not. 
Now, see, see, that's back to not taking it serious. There is no scenario that it's better to blaspheme the church by being there. That's what he's saying. I'd rather be here than to be at home. That's not always true. Not if they're going to come here or you're going to come here and blaspheme the church. It's really better for you not to be there. There is never, it's never better to blaspheme the church under any circumstance. So he said, if you can't do it right and you can't do it honorably, then just don't be part of it until you can come do it right. And I love that last line. I've, have you ever wondered what, what this was? And oh, by the way, I got some other stuff. I'll, I'll talk to you about that when I get there. So apparently there were some things that he said, now this stuff I'm going to have to look in eye and talk to you about. So we, we don't know what that is. So that's, uh, that's the lesson for this week. Uh, I took a tremendous uh, amount from this because um, it, it's Paul saying that we, we've got to get to the point that we take the coming together for fellowship and for worship. We've got to take this serious. And if you want to do the other stuff, and you've heard me talk about this before, and I, this is not being legalistic. I'm just using this as an example. There's plenty of time during the week to talk about all this other stuff. When we come into church to fellowship, why don't we in that fellowship find out what each other needs, okay? Why don't we concentrate on talking about Scripture, talking about Jesus, talking about the, the, the God that we worship, and that be our fellowship for this part of the week? Now, some of you say, well, Rick, now shouldn't we be having this mindset all during the week? We shouldn't. Well, let me tell me how we, we – but, but I, I, I think I know, speaking from a, I'm a fellow human being, talking about work, talking about your kids, unless they have a need, talking about the tournament, talking about football, talking about baseball, talking about the Braves, talking about all that, why don't we just leave all that for either after later today or, 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 or the day before or when we were during the week, when we come in here, we're coming into his house. And somebody said, well, there's nothing wrong with sitting around fellowship talking about the ball game. Yeah, well, yeah, unless there's a woman sitting over there or a man sitting over there that you saw the prayer request this week, and you're going to sit here and talk about the ball game while they sit over there and you don't go ask them that you saw the prayer request, how's it going? That's more important than the ball game. That's just one of the reasons why people say when we took over, so y'all going to provide – Food for everybody before class starts? No, because that's when everybody eats talks about the ball game. I don't want us doing that in here. I couldn't care less about talking about the ball game while we're in here. Let, let, let's get in here and get in the Word of God. Let's tend to each other's needs. Let, let's, let's grow. Let's, let's, let's be advancing his kingdom, but let's concentrate on what we're here to do. If we were honest, I think we have plenty of time for the rest of the week to do that other stuff. And you know why sometimes we do that as opposed to doing the other? Because we prefer, we'd rather get together and talk about that than get together and talk about Christ and get together and, and find out what's going on with each other spiritually and what help you need. I, I'm just going to tell you straight up, when, you, when we stand before the Lord, let me tell you how much concern he's going to have on how your team is doing. None. None. Unless you found some way to use that to reach somebody for Christ, which that can be done, but, but rarely do we use it for that. It's, it's not going to matter. 
Well done, good and faithful football fan. Your devotion to, to your sport really had an impact for this kingdom. Nothing wrong with these things, but don't you dare put them in the wrong place. Don't you dare bring that into worship. Don't you, don't you dare worship that more than you worship him. It, 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 it's in its proper place. And I can tell you, there's some things in my life that I had such a hard time keeping them in the right place, I had to get rid of them altogether. You may not be in that situation. You may be able to handle it. But there, the, let me tell you how I can absolutely never put something in the wrong place if I don't participate in it at all. And, oh, what a sacrifice. I'm such a martyr. <laughs> Too many things that we call, uh, we call blessings, they're not blessings. They're distractions. Because they pull us into themselves and take us away from God. Now, if they, if they, if they make your relationship with God stronger, praise the Lord. Then it's a blessing. But if it's something you keep having to struggle with spending too much time on it versus growing in your faith, then it's probably not a blessing. It's probably a distraction. And by the way, all this stuff we think we just have to have and, and all this stuff we just obsess over, God will laugh at it if you try to bring it in there and lay it at his feet. You think he's impressed with how much stuff you and I have? the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he spoke creation, just spoke it. And he's going to be impressed with the things that we accomplished. All it's going to matter is, were you obedient to me in response to the redemption and the grace? And did you ever just stop and remember what I did and treat it with reverency? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the lesson, and, and thank you for these words and how you've used them to refine us. Uh, I know I've learned a lot studying this, and, um, and I thank you for speaking through our brother, the Apostle Paul, to remind us of the things that uh, we should take very serious. And those of us that are part of your church, may we never take the gathering together of the saints, take it lightly. May it never look no different than if we were having a company party a company picnic, a family reunion. May it look like worship, and may it look like men and women that have been redeemed by the one and only living God. And forgive me for the times I have not treating it, treated it with the reverency that, that you demand. Not that you ask or prefer, that you demand. So forgive me for that, Lord. And may you continue to sanctify me into a man that I cannot even comprehend. You are my authority. I am not my authority. And, Lord, maybe today if someone needs to make that decision in their own life in this room or are listening and watching this, I pray, Lord, that they'll just simply say, I leave faith in myself and I place my faith in you. Forgive me for my sins. Change me into a person that only you can. I know that I don't love you because I look at my life, but I also know what you did for me, so I know that you love me. So you please teach me to love you because if I love you, I'll obey you. And I'll be in awe of you continually. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.